Gospel of Matthew. We've been in this book for quite a bit of time, and we come tonight to chapter 21. Uh, Jesus is going to enter the city of Jerusalem, the place where he will be arrested and condemned and put to death. Uh, This is the day that we have come to know as Palm Sunday. It is the very last Sunday before Jesus dies on the cross. So Matthew 21, uh, beginning at verse 1. Now when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethphage, to the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord needs them, and he will send them at once. This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, saying, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, and on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. The disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and put on them their cloaks, and he sat on them. Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, Hosanna in the highest. And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up, saying, Who is this? And the crowd said, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. And we're going to end our reading this evening at that point. There are some occasions I have discovered over the years when I would, uh, I would prefer not to tell people what I do for a living. Uh, not because I'm embarrassed, not because I'm ashamed, but uh, people will almost always treat me differently when they find out I'm a pastor. Uh, I can think of times I've, I've played golf, and, and you know how it is when you play golf. You go out by yourself, and you might end up in a group of guys you don't even know who they are. And I can think of times when that's happened to me and once they find out what I do for a living, they treat me entirely different than they did before. I can think of times on an airplane where uh, the person sitting next to me was initially really, really chatty and when they found out that I was a pastor, that was the end of the conversation. And, and so you kind of get to the point where you, you hope people don't ask you what you do for a living and if they do ask you what you do for a living, you say something like, uh, I'm a teacher, and you, and you hope they don't ask anything besides that. I, I bring that up because, you know, when you read through the Gospels, one of the things you keep noticing is all the times Jesus told people to keep quiet, to not tell others of his miracles, to not tell others of his identity. For example, in Matthew chapter 9, Jesus heals two blind men. And immediately after he heals them, he says to them, make sure no one knows about this. In Matthew 16, Peter makes this great confession about Jesus. You might remember Peter's confession. He says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And right after Peter says that, Jesus strictly charges his disciples Tell no one that I am the Messiah. And we read these things and we kind of wonder, why would Jesus do that? I mean, wouldn't, wouldn't Jesus want people to know who he is? 
Wouldn't Jesus want people to know about his power and his miracles and his identity? Wouldn't wouldn't he want them to know that he was the Messiah? Well, Jesus knew that, that once word gets out about who he is, the Christ, the Messiah, sent by God, he knows that this is really going to raise the ire of the Jewish leaders to the point that they will want to put him to death. Now, Jesus knew that he had come to die. As he says in in Matthew chapter 20, I did not come to be served, but I came to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. But Jesus also knew that it was not yet his time. And so that is why all throughout the Gospels, you will see him saying, don't tell anyone. Don't, Don't say anything about what you've just seen, because he knew it wasn't yet his time. But now, as we come to chapter 21, as Jesus prepares to enter the city of Jerusalem, it is time. It is time for people to know who he is. It is time for him to come what he came to do, which is to die for the sins of his people, to die, Christian, for your sins. And so what we have here tonight in the triumphal entry, as we know it, is Jesus' very public declaration of who he is. He is the king and he is the Messiah. And there are two parts to this passage. First of all, the disciples prepare for Jesus's entry into Jerusalem. And then second, the people respond to Jesus's entry into Jerusalem. Jesus and his disciples are getting closer and closer and closer to Jerusalem. And they have come now to this little village called Bethphage. We don't know a whole lot about Bethphage. One thing that we do know is it was located on the Mount of Olives and it was about a mile from Jerusalem. Now remember, last week, if you were here, Jesus and his disciples and this huge crowd of people were in Jericho. Jericho is about 15 miles from Jerusalem. Well, now, as we come to chapter 21, they're only a mile away. They're very, very close to the city. And Jesus gets two of his disciples, and and notice what he says to them in verse 2. He says, go into the village in front of you. Immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. Go to the village right here. As soon as you get in there, you're going to see a donkey and a colt tied up. I want you to untie them both and bring them to me. And then Jesus adds... If anyone questions you about this, tell them that the Lord needs them and they will let you take the donkeys. Now just as an aside, notice that little word Lord. Too often people have a very low view of Jesus. People view Jesus as just meek and mild, kind of waiting on us before he does anything. But that's not who Jesus is. Jesus Christ, the scriptures declare over and over, is Lord of all. He's not just Lord of the church. He's not just Lord of your life. He's not just Lord of this this little slice of your life. He's Lord over all things. And as Lord, he has the right to whatever he wants. Now, it's likely that the owner of these donkeys knew who Jesus was. They they knew that he was the Lord. They knew that he was the Messiah. And so once they hear that Jesus wants these donkeys, immediately the owner will release these donkeys. But the big question tonight, at least in the first part of this passage, is why a donkey? 
I mean, we've all seen donkeys, right? Children, you've seen donkeys before. Not the most majestic creature. Certainly not something that, that you would picture a great leader riding in on. Whenever I hear the word donkey, I, I almost always think of Eeyore from Winnie the Pooh. The, the blue-gray donkey who was always kind of, you know, woe is me. Why would Jesus ride on a donkey? Well, there are two things to consider. First of all, there is an Old Testament connection. When we first started the Gospel of Matthew, about a year and a half ago, one of the first things I told you is Matthew is filled with Old Testament connections. You, you can't study Matthew without also seeing the Old Testament connections. And so when it comes to a donkey, there are two specific connections to the Old Testament. First of all, there is what we find in Genesis chapter 49. In Genesis 49, uh, Jacob blesses his sons. And in verse 10 of Genesis 49, he blesses Judah and he says this. He says, the scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet until tribute comes to him and to him shall be the obedience of the peoples. And so when, when, when Jacob blesses Judah, he's talking about from Judah will come a great king. A, a scepter, a ruler's staff is symbolic of a king. And so from Judah will come a great king. One who will rule over an everlasting kingdom. And, and then in the very next verse, Jacob says this about this coming king. Genesis 49, he says, Binding his foal to the vine and his donkey's colt to the choice vine. The point is this, when Jacob makes this prophecy that from Judah will come a great king, connected to this great king is a donkey. There's this Old Testament connection in Genesis 49 between the king and a donkey. But there's a second connection in the Old Testament, and it's what we find here in our passage. Notice verse 4 of Matthew 21. This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet saying, say to the daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. Many of you might know that this is a direct quote from Zechariah chapter 9. Zechariah chapter 9 says this very same thing, and so here we are being told Jesus Christ is fulfilling Zechariah's prophecy by riding into Jerusalem on a donkey. Now, this is very important for your salvation, and I'll explain to you why. Jesus came to keep the law of God perfectly. He came to fulfill the messianic prophecies perfectly. He didn't obey 96% of God's commands. He didn't fulfill 88% of the messianic prophecies. He kept and he fulfilled all of them. This is not unimportant. This was crucial for your salvation. Children, don't ever forget that the life of Jesus was just as important as the death of Jesus. 
If, if all Jesus had to do when he came was die on the cross for our sins, he could have been crucified right after he was born, right? But, but you and I need not only our sins to be forgiven, not only to have our sins washed away, but you and I need a perfect, spotless righteousness to be able to stand in God's presence. Both of them are vital. You need both. I need both. The forgiveness of our sins... And a perfect righteousness. Jesus came to give us both. Jesus lived a perfect life to every single one of God's commands. He kept God's word perfectly. So that through faith in him, you might have the perfect righteousness that you need, that you can't get on your own to be able to stand before God. That's the importance of his life. And he also died on the cross by, and, and took all of our sins upon himself and all of God's wrath against those sins so that you and I would be forgiven. It's wonderful to know that we have a Savior who did both. We have a Savior who lived for us and we have a Savior who died for us. Too many Christians are under the unbiblical notion of thinking, you know, it's great that Jesus died for me so that my sins would be forgiven. But now it's up to me to be obedient enough to be able to make it to heaven and stand in God's presence. That's not what the Bible teaches. That's not what the Bible teaches at all. The Bible teaches that in Jesus Christ, you have both the washing away of all of your sins and a perfect, spotless righteousness. And so I want to challenge you tonight, whenever you're reading the Gospels and and whenever you see Jesus fulfilling something from the Old Testament like he's doing here, Genesis 49, Zechariah 9, whenever you see that or whenever you see him perfectly obeying God's commands, Remember he did that for you. He lived the perfect life for you, Christian. So that's the first thing about this donkey, the connection to the Old Testament. A a very clear indication that Jesus Christ is the Messiah and anyone who knew their Old Testament would have understood this. Again, previously Jesus did not want to his identity to be made known, but, but now his time has come. Now it is time for him to prepare to go to the cross. And as Jesus rides into the city of Jerusalem, he is saying in a very visible way, I am he. I'm the one. Prophesied all throughout the Old Testament, I am the one sent by God. Secondly, though, there is also the symbolism of a donkey. Jesus Christ is the the king of kings. He is the Lord of lords. He is the creator of all. He is eternal God. And we go, why would this great king ride into Jerusalem on a donkey? Maybe a chariot. Maybe a war horse. But a donkey? A donkey is a reminder that Jesus was not coming as the kind of king and Messiah that Israel was looking for. 
I've said to you many times, and, and you know this to be the case, that what Israel was looking for was a Messiah who would overthrow the Romans. They were looking for a king who would set up an earthly kingdom and, and he would rule all the nations with an iron fist. But that's not how Jesus came. That's not why Jesus came. Jesus came in humility. Jesus was born in a barn. Jesus was born to a, a young, unknown teenager. Jesus grew up in Nazareth, and we all know what they said about Nazareth. Can anything good come out of that place? Jesus said of himself, foxes have holes, birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Jesus came in absolute humility. He came to suffer and to die so that he might save his people from their sins. You see, those people living in the first century, they had a far greater need than having the Romans overthrown. And we sit here tonight in the 21st century and, and you and I need something far more important than freedom from bad politicians or freedom from a lousy boss or freedom from financial struggles. We need to be set free from our sin. We need to be set free from the judgment that our sin deserves. You're not going to find that in an earthly ruler. Now, that doesn't mean we don't pray for wise, godly leaders politically. That doesn't mean that Christians should not get involved in politics. But it does mean that we don't put our ultimate trust in those people. Because they'll never give us the, the, the real freedom that we need they'll never give you freedom from body for body and soul you'll find that only in jesus christ and he comes on this donkey as a wonderful reminder that he came in humility he came to die for us so that we might be right with god so the donkey is a very appropriate symbol of the earthly ministry of jesus it's a great reminder of why he came well, the disciples do what Jesus tells them to do. They go into the village. They find the donkey and the colt. They bring them to Jesus. They, they lay their coats on the animals to kind of, make a, kind of make a saddle for Jesus. And Jesus sits on the colt. By the way, don't, don't miss the significance of the last five words of verse 7, at least in my translation. And he sat on them. In other words... By sitting on the donkey, Jesus is saying, I'm the one Zechariah was talking about. I am the great king. If anyone ever says to you, well, Jesus never claimed to be king. Jesus never said he was the fulfillment of the, New, the Old Testament messianic prophecies. Nonsense. By sitting on this donkey, Jesus is making it abundantly clear who he is. And so the stage has been set. Jesus is on the donkey. He now comes riding into the city of Jerusalem. And that brings us to the response of the people to Jesus' entry into Jerusalem. There are two different responses. 
First of all, there was the response of the crowd that is following Jesus. You remember last week, there's this, there's this massive crowd of people that is following Jesus from Jericho to Jerusalem. They're making this 15-mile journey with Jesus. And their response is in verse 8. It says, most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. This is another Old Testament connection. In 2 Kings chapter 9, the, the people took off their coats and put them on the ground in front of King Jehu. This was seen as an appropriate way to treat a king. This was a symbol of their respect for him as king. And and that's what the crowd is doing here in Matthew. In addition, they, they cut branches off palm trees and spread them on the road. This too is symbolic of the arrival of a king. And, and now this large crowd that's following Jesus, they begin to shout. Notice verse 9, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. That sounds pretty good. It's another Old Testament connection. Psalms 113 through Psalms 118 are known as the Hallel Psalms. Psalms of praise, Hallel for Hallelujah. And it was the the Jewish custom in that day to sing the Hallel songs during Passover. And so what this crowd is doing here comes straight from Psalm 118. And we go, this is great. They're shouting scripture. But, But there's the thing we have to remember is that many people in this crowd on this day had a misunderstanding of the Messiah's mission. It's just like people today have a misunderstanding of who Jesus is. Today there are people who, who think that Jesus came to give them their best life now. That Jesus came to, to give them success and, and wealth and long, healthy lives. Others think that, that Jesus came primarily for the cause of social justice. Or he came primarily as an example that we are to follow. As I mentioned earlier, the the Jews in that day were looking for an earthly king, one who would bring them earthly success and earthly deliverance. And what's interesting is that you've got all of these people here, all of these people following Jesus in this huge crowd. All of them are shouting scripture. All of them are shouting Psalm 118. But a few days later, when Jesus is arrested and nailed to the cross, where are they? They're nowhere to be found. We didn't sign up for that kind of a Messiah. Now I'm not saying that there weren't any believers in this crowd, but it seems likely that the majority of this crowd were people looking for a Messiah who would give them earthly deliverance and earthly power, and when they realized Jesus wasn't going to do that, they left. There are people today who are like that, There are people today who initially are very much excited about Jesus, maybe excited about the Christian faith, but when they realize that that Jesus calls us to suffer, when they realize that this life does not mean everything's going to go great now because you're a Christian, they walk away. You remember one of Jesus' most uh, famous parables was the parable of the sower, and he talks about the the different kinds of soil, the the different kind of responses to the gospel. There are those who initially receive the word, but when trial comes, 
Persecution comes, they fall away. There are those who, who initially are excited about the, the things of God, but, but then they care more about the things of this life rather than the things of eternity, and so they walk away. It seems to be the case here that, that this crowd is very excited initially, very enthusiastic, but as Jesus goes to the cross, they're gone. We don't want that kind of Messiah. I hope that none of us here tonight have unbiblical expectations of who Jesus is or what he came to do. He didn't come to make you wealthy in this life. He didn't come to give you perfect health in this life. He didn't come so that that all of your relationships would just be wonderful all of the time. He came to save you from your sin. He came to save you from judgment. He came to, to give you eternal life. And he is the king and the Lord over all things. He's, he's not a genie in a bottle who has come to give you three wishes. He is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And he came in humility to redeem us. And so this crowd that that seems to be initially very excited, eventually they seem to fall away. Second, there's also the response of those in Jerusalem. Jesus enters Jerusalem, and and as he comes into the city, you'll, you'll notice that Matthew says that the whole city is stirred up. Stirred up means agitated, troubled, fearful. I want you, if you can, to picture the scene You've got um, maybe half a million people coming into Jerusalem because it's Passover. You have a massive number of people coming in. And, and by the way, when the, the custom in that day is that when you entered Jerusalem, you did it on foot. You didn't come into Jerusalem riding on an animal. You came walking. Here is Jesus. He's not walking. He's riding on a donkey, and so surely this would have gotten the attention of the people in the city. Who is this who is doing this? You've got all these people here in Jerusalem. You've got this large crowd of people following a man riding on a donkey, and it's brought a great deal of agitation to the city, and everyone there is asking the same question, who is this man? Notice the answer the crowd gives. This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. Now there are some answers that are true but don't quite contain enough information. For example, men, if if you were somewhere with your wife and, and someone asked you, who is she? If you said, oh, she's a woman, And her name is such and such. Well, that would be true. She is a woman, and that is her name, but that answer doesn't go far enough. She's your wife. She's your best friend. She's your life partner. The the answer that the crowd gives here in verse 11 is true. Jesus is a prophet. He's the greatest prophet. Jesus is from Nazareth. But children, isn't Jesus more than that? Jesus is not a mere prophet. 
Jesus is not a mere human being. He's eternal God. He's the second person of the Trinity. He's the Lord of all. He's the Savior of his people. And that is what I want to press home to you tonight, that this crowd seems to have misunderstood very seriously who Jesus is. And I do not want any of us here this evening or anyone watching on live stream to misunderstand who Jesus Christ really is. I don't know how many of you have heard of the New City Catechism before. It's a, it's a fairly new catechism. It's a, a pretty short catechism. came out a few years ago. It's based on the Heidelberg Catechism. It's a, it's a summary of what the Bible teaches in, in question and answer form, like the Heidelberg. Question 20 of the New City Catechism asks... Who is the Redeemer? Here's the answer. The only Redeemer is the Lord Jesus Christ, the eternal Son of God, in whom God became man and bore the penalty for sin himself. This is who rode into Jerusalem on a donkey that day. The eternal son of God, the one who became man, the one who perfectly obeyed all of God's law, the one who bore the penalty for our sin in himself. He's not merely a prophet. He's not merely a great teacher. He is the Lord of all and he is the savior of all who believe in him. I ask you tonight, what is your response to this king? Do you embrace him? Do you embrace him as your savior and as the one who is Lord over all things? Do you trust him alone to save you from your sin and to bring you to heaven? This is a question of eternal importance because one day Jesus will ride on another animal though this time it will not be a donkey. Revelation chapter 19 John says this I saw heaven opened and behold a white horse. The one sitting on it is called faithful and true and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire and on his head are many diadems and he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood and the name by which is called the word of God. And the armies of heaven arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty on his robe and on his thigh. He has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. A day is coming. I don't know when and you don't know when. No one knows. That day is coming. On that day, Jesus will not come humbly on a donkey. He will come in great power on a war horse to bring judgment to all who have rejected him as Savior.
What a terrifying day that will be for you if you do not flee to Jesus Christ and embrace him as Lord and Savior. But if you are trusting Christ alone to save you, you don't need to fear that day. You don't need to fear that day because your Savior, the Lord and King, came to this earth in humility and he lived for you and he died for you and he accomplished perfectly your salvation. And so you and I can look up with great expectation and anticipation that when that day comes, Christ will make all wrongs right and he will take us to himself. What a glorious day that will be. As we get older, we long more and more for that day. But it's not just for those of us who are old. The fact that Jesus will come again one day for us and the fact that there is an eternity is for all of us because it means that we are to live our lives now in light of that coming. We are to tell others of Christ and to warn them to flee from the wrath to come. We are to train our children and teach our children the gospel day after day after day so that they will know the Lord Jesus as their Savior. And we are to serve one another in this church with the great anticipation that we are doing this for his glory. To be steadfast, to be immovable, to always be abounding in the work of the Lord and to know that our labor in the Lord is not in vain because one day our king will come. One day he will return on that white horse and he will take us to himself. I'm so thankful that he came on a donkey. I'm so thankful that he came and suffered for me and died for me and rose again so that I would have everlasting life. And Christian, that's true for you too. Wonderful message that we hear from Matthew 21, a wonderful telling of this great story by Matthew, inspired by the Holy Spirit, so that we would be encouraged, so that we would be strengthened, so that we would anticipate the return of our great King. Let's bow in prayer. Father, we thank you for all that this passage teaches us tonight. Lord, for the, the wonderful way you, you weave together the, the truths of the New Testament with the prophecies of the Old Testament, how we see all of it coming to fulfillment in Christ. What a wonderful thing is your word. Father, we thank you for our Lord Jesus. We thank you that he came in humility to suffer and to die so that we would not suffer for our sins. And Lord, we look forward to that great day when he will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead and to take us to himself where we will be forever. Help us, Lord, to live our lives now in light of that day. Help us to live for the things of eternity. 